If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 14. I've been in a series for the last five or six Sunday nights on child rearing. Aren't y'all glad I got out of that? Amen. On spanking and discipline and examplehood. And boy, I've, I've enjoyed it. Amen. Now that I've just got grandchildren around, uh, I can break all those rules. Amen. No, but amen. What a blessing. And speaking of grandchildren, one of my grandchildren are here, three of my grandchildren are here on the way back to camp. Uh, they had a great week last week, had 90 in camp, and they're going to have about 90 more in camp this week. And I think they're going on to Kentucky. And uh, Thatcher turned 11 at 5.52 p.m. He told me that was the exact time he turned 11. And so I said, well, you've got to preach tonight then. He about passed out, amen. But um, happy birthday to him, and I'm glad I could share that with him. Amen. 5.52 if you all want to write that down. Okay, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, I want to preach on the ministry of God's servant, the ministry. The first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul started in Acts chapter 13. It continues uh, the description of it in Acts chapter 14, and thank God it ends in uh, chapter 14 with the church. So I want to preach on one of the greatest ministries that the church has, and I want you to take this to heart, and I want you to lay it, lay it, lay it to heart and do something about it. And I want us to really have a true New Testament church ministry. And uh, I think we do, but we need to do better at it. And uh, we'll see the, uh, the partnership, plan, preaching, power, passion, and persistence, and proof of the, uh, and the priority of the ministry in this chapter. So let's stand on the Word of God. It's only 28 verses, so you, we won't keep you standing too long. But I guarantee you, some of you stand longer to... Go to Six Flags than this, amen? But, um, and I know I stand longer in the food line at the restaurant, amen? I did that this afternoon. They wanted to go to Steak and Shake. I've never seen so many people in all my life, so amen. I'm glad I got out of there alive. But look at verse, 14, verse 1. And it came to pass at Iconium that they went both together. That's key. They went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake, that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of Greeks, believed. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. I have a Jewish missionary come by and we're talking about Jews getting saved. Look at verse 2. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace. I want you to underline that, the word of His grace. And granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with Jews and part with the apostles. When there was an assault both, uh, made both of the Gentiles and of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them. And, there, and, there, and they were aware of it, and fled into Lystria and Derbe, cities of Laconium, and into the regions that lieth about roundabout, and there they preached the gospel. And there was sat a certain man at Lystria, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceived that he had faith to be healed. He said with a loud voice, Stand aright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Laconium, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They were calling Paul a god. And they called Barnabas and Jupiter and Paul and Mercurius 
because he was the chief speaker. And then the priests of the Judiper, which was uh, before their cities, brought oxen and garlands into the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostle Barnabas and Saul heard of it, rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We are also our men of like passions with you and preaching to you that ye should turn from their vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from the heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings scarce restrained they the people that they had done sacrifice unto them. And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch, Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing him he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up, came to the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystria, where they were stoned, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, confirming the souls of the disciples, and exhorted them to continue the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word to Perga, they went down into Attilia, and, and listen to this, and when they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had re- recommended the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled, and when they were come and gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. Thank you for standing for that reading of the Word of God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful chapter about our, for the first missionary trip. God, even deputation, reporting in, being accountable to the local church. Lord, I believe we do things right around here because it's biblically right. And I thank you, dear God, for the church. I thank you, dear God, for uh, underlying the purpose of the church, the priority of the church. And so, Lord, help us as we preach a few minutes tonight on discovering the ministry of the local church, the ministry of God's servant, the ministry that we have a privilege to be part of. And so, Lord, I pray everybody to get involved. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice in verse 1 of Acts chapter 14, I'll just go through this real quick, and then I want to get to the main part of the message, the partnership of the ministry. Uh, John Mark had left. He had deserted. He quit. A lot of people quit. Uh, And Paul and Barnabas stayed together for one reason, and that was to go to the Jews, to the synagogues, and to a great multitude, both Jews and also Greeks, and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel literally means good news. I can't think of a better news than you're saved by the death, burial, and resurrection, plus nothing Minus nothing. I would hate to be a Mormon. 
or a Jehovah Witness or some uh, Islamic up here going around saying that a sinner has to get better to get saved and that a sinner's offering is just as important as, a, as the Savior's offering. Folks, what, how could a sinner ever work enough to undo the penalty of sin? Only Jesus Christ, who died in our place, put the, shed the perfect blood, is enough. Not some sinner trying to work their way out of condemnation. And then I see the plan of the ministry, not only the partnership of the ministry, isn't it good to have people you can work with and go soul winning with? And you know, we do a lot of things together, play ball, go fishing, do a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you something, one of the greatest partnerships is when you go out and do something for God and especially spread the gospel. Some of y'all have never done that. You ought to try it. You'll like it. And I guarantee if you don't like it, they'll like it when they get saved. Amen? So the plan is they went. Look at verse 1. It says, and they passed through Iconium and went, and they went both together into the synagogue. Folks, we got to go where they're at. We got to go, hey, listen, li- listen, listen. We can't just sit around and build a beautiful church and think they'll come in. That is in days past. And by the way, God, that's never worked. We got to go where people are. We got to minister to them and we got to take the gospel to them. They went. But what was the preaching of this ministry? Not only did they have partnership in this ministry and the plan of this ministry, but I see the preaching in this ministry. In verse uh, 1 it says they spake. And so they spake. Now what do you think they did? Did they speak works? Did they speak law? Did they speak join the church? Did they speak how good they were and they were going to be a God? And did they speak uh, that they ought to have a healing line? No, they spoke the word of grace. They spoke God's word, amen? Preaching is important. And preaching doesn't mean just behind this pulpit. It means proclaim one-on-one, go door-to-door, go to where people are, and take them the gospel. Brother Gary Lefford has a great ministry at his church where he sets up a um, market on Saturday. And all these people come, and he's got his little booth with the, with the uh, master club in it. And I'm, people come from all of those yuppie neighborhoods around his church that they, can't, they would never answer the door, but they'll go and look at an antique. They'll go look at some fresh fruit. And folks, I want to tell you something. Right in the middle of that church parking lot is the gospel tent. Say amen. I think that's wonderful, putting out the seeds and, and, and planting the seeds wherever you're at and witnessing and being uh, a deliverer of the word of grace. Look at it, what it says. It said, And they spake that the great multitude of the Jews and also the Greeks believed. Folks, if they believed, that means they were presented the gospel. We need to present the gospel. We need to preach Jesus. Say amen. We need to preach Jesus to the lost and dying world. Where are they at? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's not the gospel of Joseph Smith. I hate to put myself in this crowd. It's not the uh, gospel of Wayne Cofield. It's not the gospel of, I almost said Fred Russell, John Russell or whoever the founder of the JWs. It's not the gospel of of Allah. Folks, we have the gospel of Christ. The origin's important, say amen. It came straight from the throne of God and Jesus left the splendor and glory of heaven to come to this earth and bring us the greatest news that we could ever have. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that 
believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. Folks, we need to preach the gospel. My life verse, my ministry verse, when I was called to preach, uh, the church looked and said, is he sure? I believe the flag hung at half mass in heaven and the angels wept because they knew I wasn't going to be good enough to, and I was too shy. I didn't even speak to my sister half the time. And uh, I was shocked as everybody else was. Everybody thought there was gonna, uh, God was going to call my uh, talkative cousin that uh, helped me get saved, but they, God called a shy little introvert. And this became my verse, Acts 20, 24. Y'all going to turn there? Acts 20, 24. You got it memorized. It says, and none of these things move me. Folks, we got to get where it doesn't move us. That means we don't, get, we don't get afraid of people. We don't get afraid of their faces. And folks, most of the time we're so full of pride we're afraid of rejection. Say amen right there. Oh, I might hurt somebody's feelings. I might do something wrong. Well, praise God, the Lord will use your mistakes better than he'll use you doing nothing. Now, I don't think you ought to go out and uh, be a prosecuting attorney and have all the answers, but what you need to be is a witness because you have the answer, Jesus Christ. Amen. But I want to tell you something, none of these things move me, neither count my life dear to myself. They said, don't go, don't, don't go to Rome. Please don't go there. They're going to kill you. But he said, I am, I, I, the Holy Spirit is constraining me to go. And i got to go. And look at this. It said, so that I might finish my course with joy. He said, if they do kill me, I'm going to finish with joy. Look at this. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. And you know, friend, God has commissioned you as much as He's commissioned me to take the gospel. What is the, what is the uh, uh, ministry? To testify the gospel of the grace of God. God wants you to give a testimony. And not just in these pews on a Sunday night. God wants you to testify door to door that Jesus saves. He, he wants you to not only testify that Jesus saves... He wants you to tell them how Jesus saves through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so I see the preaching in the ministry. I see the plan of the ministry. I see the partnership of the ministry. Folks, I want to tell you something. We need to preach Jesus. We need to preach the gospel. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This encourages everyone that's introverted, that's shy, that thinks they don't know what to say or they can't say it. Say it. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about him using the weak things. And the simple things, that means the unwise people. But I like verse 18, where it says, For we preach, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it's the power of God. We ought to take the cross with us. Look at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world, the debater? Hath not God made foolish in the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of, the, of God, the world was uh, by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jew a stumbling block unto the Greek foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Oh, folks, it says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world, verse 27, 
to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. You know, if you think you know enough and you think your personality is smooth enough to go soul winning, you probably won't be effective. But you that are scared to death to go, and you that don't know how to have all the answers and all the words to go, God can use your simple faith, your humble submission, and your availability. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And God can use that in a special way to confound the wise. And folks, to humble the smart aleck. And thank God the Lord will use you in the preaching of the ministry, proclaiming the gospel. Then I see the power of the, of the, of the ministry. And back in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, it says, and, and it says, And great multitudes, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. Well, I'll tell you what the power of the ministry is when God saves someone. That's powerful. Folks, that's a resurrection from the dead. That's a miracle. Don't ever get over you being saved. Matter of fact, a lot of Christians never go tell anybody else because they just don't have assurance of their own salvation. And then they, they, and then, and they got over it. They've been saved for 140 years and, and they don't tell nobody. But I'll tell you what, when you first got saved, you told everybody. You was crying and weeping and didn't care. You didn't care what people thought of you. You was going to heaven, and you was glad of it. And sometimes we get over it. We shouldn't get over it. We ought to have, we ought to have the, the power of the ministry is people can get saved. But then I see the passion of the ministry. Look at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. And long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was a salt made, both the Gentiles, also the Jews, were the rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. Now folks, there's a passion here. They went on anyway. They witnessed when they could get hurt. When they maybe would give their lives. I want to say this, and I remember Bill Quills telling me this when we went out soul winning. After I led him to the Lord under a Ford uh, that he was working on on Labor Day, I'll never forget it. No, Bill uh, got excited about going and telling other people about Jesus. And uh, he went with me and he said, uh, Preacher, the way I look at it, probably the only thing we'll get hurt going soul winning is our feelings. I said, Bill, that's probably right. Let's go get our feelings hurt. And I said, well, let's don't, let's don't ag it on and let's don't provoke it. But if we do get our feelings hurt, don't you think it'll be worth it? He said, Preacher, I really do. I really do. And I'll never forget that conversation. He's in heaven now. Went prematurely because he got out of the will of God. But I want to tell you something, folks. There's a passion in spite of opposition. I want to tell you something. The greatest enemy you have is yourself, your pride, your shyness. Folks, you ought to go witness the shy people if you're shy. Say amen. That's right. You ought to witness shyly. There's a lot of people that uh, they don't want a loud presentation, loud mouth preacher. They just want some sweet little lady just tell them about Jesus. Tell them how Jesus saves. Tell them that Jesus wonderfully changed my life. And you can reach people just like you. Amen? Oh, it's wonderful. God's got a job for you. God's got a place for you to witness. There ought to be a passion and then a persistence. In verse 3 it says they were there a long time their abode they're getting stoned they're getting uh, uh, despitefully used and they're still there 
Folks, thank God for you that still go. We go for everything else. People go for politics, hand out posters boldly for the president of their choice or the governor or the senator of their choice. Folks, this is much more important than politics. This is the Word of God. And folks, it will never return void. Say amen. And the hope in, is not in the White House. The hope is in God's house. The hope's in the gospel. So there will be a persistence. And of course, there's a proof. In verse 3, it said many, many um, believed. Praise God, multitudes got saved, Jews and Greeks. But also, they, he gives the testimony of one man that was crippled. And he began to walk. And he began to shout. And then we see the persecution began in verse 19 because he refused their godship. He said, hey, this guy's healed. It's miraculous. He's shouting and walking and leaping, verse 10. He says, let's say that our gods have come down in this, in this man's life. And Boy, Paul didn't like that. He said, don't you call me a god. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that offended them, that he would not let them crown him Lord or crown him a God. And what did they do to him? Well, we see in verse 19, And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch, Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, and drew him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And when he got saved, he saw Stephen stoned in a pit. He didn't see the look of hate, but he saw the look of heaven on his face. He didn't see anything but the forgiveness of God on Stephen's life and that witness to the man making havoc of the church, the persecutor, the murderer, made many orphans, made many widows in the name of Jesus. But he saw Jesus in Stephen's face. And now he's stoned to death almost. That means they put him in a pit, got boulders and just, just uh, tried to kill him. And they thought he was dead and they put him out on a uh, trash pile outside Lystria came to himself. Many people say he had a supernatural resurrection. I think he's just tough. And he got up and he walked on. Amen. How many times have you walked on when it was inconvenient? How many times have you walked on when the humidity is high and the air conditioner don't work on the old car and you had to walk up flights of steps like I got assigned to on vacation Bible school? I don't know who assigned me that, that neighborhood, but buddy, it was tough, Jack. I'm telling you what. But anyway, uh, I thank God for it. I thank God that we can still climb steps and still be inconvenienced and still take our Saturday mornings and miss our cartoons and go soul winning and say amen. But folks, listen. The proof of the ministry is a changed life, but there, it's not always easy. There's persecution. Uh, the uh, heathens won't like it. And so I see the perseverance of the ministry in verse 21. This is amazing to me. He's, he's left for dead, and he goes to, the next day he departs to, uh, with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they preached the gospel to that city, verse 21, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystria. That's the place he was stoned to death almost. And to Iconium, and to Antioch. And folks, I see the perseverance of the ministry in verse 21, but praise God, I see the priority of the ministry. He keeps on preaching. Now how many of you, if you almost got killed on soul winning, would go to the next town and still go soul winning? No, I think many of you would say, that's it. I thought this was going to be fun. I didn't sign up for this. 
I didn't sign up to be, to be stoned, and I didn't sign up to be rejected, and I didn't sign up to be hurt. I'm finished. Some of you quit after somebody don't get saved after two times going. Some of you say, hey, listen, it ain't working for me. It's not my calling. Somebody else got the gift of evangelism. Everybody's got the gift of evangelism, amen? Because God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you, and He is the evangelist, amen? He's the convictor. He's the converter. He makes Jesus real in our lives. Don't ever say you don't have the gift of evangelism. You got the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is the witness. He's the witness, and He's the convictor. If you'll leave it up to Him, you can get and die to self, uh, God will use you. But I want you to see something else besides winning souls. You say, what else is there? I didn't think you thought about anything else. Thank you for the compliment. But there is something else. And it's found in verse 22. Why did he get back up from his deathbed after he preached in another city and go back to the same place where he was hurt? Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples. The word confirm means encourage. The word confirm means discipleship. Now, folks, I know we need to make disciples. Brother Trent got in trouble last week because uh, it said make disciples and it wasn't King James and some preacher called him up and told him off. I think that's ridiculous. Amen. You can't put the whole verse on your T-shirt. Just make disciples. Say amen. But some people are looking for a fight and they're looking to divide and they're looking to argue. They're looking to debate. Not pointing at you, Brother Jeremy. But they're just looking for, instead of declare the gospel, say amen. Come on, we're just looking for a fight. We're looking for something wrong. We're looking to pick on somebody. We're, we're the apologetics of America. You know, we're going we're gonna to find something wrong with anything and anybody. But folks, what we need to do is stop debating and start declaring the gospel and get out of our pews and win souls. Sit around as independent fundamental and find fault with everybody that's not. I ain't got time to pick fights. I'm fighting the devil. I'm fighting my flesh. Praise God, I'll tell you what, I'm fighting my fears. I'm fighting my shyness. I'm fighting all those things. Fighting the devil. But I want to get the gospel out in spite of it. And folks, I want to confirm the saints. And I preach this because of what happened recently at Vacation Bible School. Your work has just begun. It didn't end with it when the decorations went down. It didn't end when the 27 souls were saved and 5 or 6 got assurance. It didn't end. It started. Because I'm going to tell you something. We are going to be held accountable for every soul that we say that we're saved that we do not follow up on. We've got to confirm them. What's that mean? Go inspect them and say, no, nah, you didn't mean business. You're below 12. No, not that junk. I'm talking about encourage them, love them, and teach them, and disciple them, and train them, and help them, and walk with them, and cry with them. Reach their parents, praise God. That's the best thing you can do for a child. Say amen. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. He went back to the place they about killed him saying, I don't care if you do, i got to confirm them. I'm not going to talk them out of their salvation. I'm just going to help them. I'm going to love them. I'll tell you how they did it. They put them in churches. Because the next verse says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church. I don't, I don't promote plurality of elders one bit. Praise God, there's many pastors, many leaders. 
And they were saying, hey, listen, there's got to be a church. And the church will confirm them. And the church will exhort them. And the church will tell them to continue the faith. And folks, through much tribulation, they'll say, hey, continue on, new convert. The other day, I was talking to Trent or Stephanie, or maybe both at the same time. And they were so shook up about that little baby in that bag one mile from their house. I shook up about it. The baby was about an hour old. Three teenagers out in the driveway heard the crying in the woods out in Cumming, Georgia, or Alpharetta, somewhere near where they live. Brother Sam, you might live over there. And they heard that cry, thought it was an animal, but it was a little baby in a bag crying for life. And they got that little baby and named her India. That really got it. Uh, Trent excited. He lives to see missionaries go to India. He, th- he thinks she's going to be a great missionary to India, I guess. I don't know, but India was her name. And I want to tell you something, friend. We are just as guilty if we win souls to the Lord and leave them by themselves. I'm going to make a strong statement right there. You, you give birth to a baby, you've got a responsibility, mama. Say amen. You need to nurture them and feed them and cuddle them and warm them and protect them and watch over them and rearrange your whole life to take care of that baby. And folks, we've had 27 babies born in vacation Bible school. Are we going to leave them in the street? Are we going to leave them in these ungodly homes? Are we going to leave them where the JWs come every week and have a Bible study in their home? No, we need to go confirm them. We need to go encourage them. We need to take that card and make it a person and say, hey, little Sylvia, I'm glad you got saved. Can you tell me what happened? Can you tell me how you got saved? Can you tell me now for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And their parents sitting right there in front of them. And then you turn it to mom and daddy and say, that's exactly what we showed little Susie, little Sylvia. How to be saved. Are you saved? If you died today, you'd go to heaven. You say, that's too pushy. That's not pushy. You won't see pushy. Follow me around a little bit. I mean, it's not pushy. That's taking an opportunity. God's opened up the door to 27 families, 27 souls that's just been born. And folks, we ought to risk being stoned and risk our lives to get to them and confirm them, encourage them, and exhort them. Because that is our ministry. The priority of ministry is found in verses 23. It says, They've sent them to the church, and then it ends in verse 28, and they abode a long time with the disciples. And folks, it was an open door of faith. And it says, and when they were come, they gathered, verse 27, the church together. And they reported in, but they not only did that, they probably had those new converts confirming them, saying, hey, listen, stay in Sunday school. Stay in church. And I want to tell you something, friend, and I'll close with this. I think we got a wrong perspective of what church is all about. I don't believe church is for a spectator sport. Come on now. I don't believe a church is just to sit in a pew and hear a good message and say that was great and not do a thing about it. I believe church is to get involved. I believe the church ought to be a mighty army. Amen. I believe the church ought to grow up. Amen. I believe, folks, that we need to change, be, transcend from babyhood to adulthood, spiritually speaking. I believe that we ought to change the nursery and a spiritual nursery into a spiritual battlefield. 
I believe we ought to leave the realm of milk, bibs, and diapers. And we ought to have meat, battles, and devotion. I believe that we, ought to, we ought to take on the world as a mighty army. I believe we ought to take a stand in public. I believe we ought to do all that thing. But I believe most of all, we need to help babies grow up. I'll prove it. The work of the ministries are described in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Why does God give us a pastor? Why did God give us Sunday school teachers? Well, here's the answer. Ephesians 4.11. Y'all with me? Amen. Y'all agree with this message? Say amen. Look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. God gives a church a pastor. God gives a church teachers and evangelists. For what? Why? Well, here it is. Verse 12. It says, for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting, Matthew 5, 48. Perfect does not mean perfect like we think of it. It means mature. It means adulthood. It means fruit bearing. Folks, we ought to be in a perfect state. And that's Christ's likeness. What's the work of the ministry? Look at verse 13. It says, I mean 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work, the ministry. I want to say this, and I'm going to say it very kindly but very straight. And I had a deacon leave one time because he said, you expected me to work. But I want to tell you something, the word deacon means servant. But the word Christian means believer, and the believer should believe enough to work. We're saved by grace, but we prove that we're saved by grace by work. They know that we're a city set up on a hilltop because our works glorify God. The Christian life is not easy. You think it's easy for Paul to get, go back to the place that he was almost murdered and confirmed the saints? It cost him. And folks, it's the work of the ministry is to edify the body of Christ, but also to mature the Christian. Look at verse 13. It says, Till we come, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, mature, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. I'll tell you what the will of God for every one of those kids that got saved and those teenagers is to be like Christ. And I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to say it very, very straight. They'll never be like Christ if they don't get in church regularly. They'll never be in Christ if they don't get in this book. They'll never get in Christ unless they learn somebody teaches them to pray. They'll never be like Christ until they get involved in the ministry and one day grow up and be deacons and leaders and teachers and possibly pastor and preachers and evangelists because that's the will of God for every one of those souls. We all got a part. We all got a gift. We all should be getting involved. And folks, it's not spectators. God's put us on the team. and We're to function. But better said, God's put us in the body. And if folks, one part of the body does nothing, it goes stale. And folks, the, the joint gets stale and, 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 and mobile and dies and wilts. And the whole body's effective when one part of the body doesn't function and move right. So God wants us to play our part. God wants us to yield to Him our gifts. I see in verse 14, it says, And we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the slight of men, the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. 
thought about those kids telling you after they got saved that Jehovah Witness has been having Bible studies in one of your bus kids' uh, uh, living room. That breaks my heart. But how, how many times we went there and had a Bible study? And so stability and strength and steadfastness. I want to close by saying this. I'm going to close pretty early. We need some steadfastness, number one, in doctrine. What a study to show ourselves approved. In these last perilous days, what a remember the, the doctrine of grandmama and mama as, as, as Paul exhorted Timothy, don't forget it. And, and the Word of God's inspired and arid. It's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. It means it'll teach you right for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for reproof. Tell you what not's right. So folks, in doctrine, we ought to speak the word in truth. Look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, speak the truth in love, they may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Folks, we've got to tell people to grow up. The other day I knocked on the door, new convert, and I said, I'm going to tell you something, you're living in sin. God does not, God does not ordain shacking. If you really got saved, y'all need to move out. They didn't like that. I also brought them 10 pages of what the Mormon church uh, believes wrong. She didn't like that. But I'm going to tell you something. I have a duty. If I lead somebody to the Lord, I tell them how to grow and tell them what's right. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. I'm not saying she's not saved, but I'm going to say this, friend. She needs to get under submission of Bible doctrine. She needs to come to Sunday school church not one time a week. You'll never grow coming one time a week. How many times you eat one a week? Let me, let me rephrase that. How many times you eat every day? One time? I've cut down to three. I'm doing pretty good. Three times. I used to eat about five times. My wife's uh, diabetic. She's supposed to eat five times a day. I said, I'm going to join you. Praise God. I'm not going to let you do that by yourself. Amen. But folks, listen. You can't just come sliding in church look like dead people and laid back, don't even smile, don't even respond, never say an amen and expect a new convert to think this is exciting enough to come back on Sunday night. Come on, say amen. We ought to get enthusiastic about God. But we ought to be faithful. Steadfast in our doctrine, then steadfast in our development. I believe that there ought to be a growing attraction for church. I believe it ought to hurt you to miss. I believe your children ought to be shocked. I looked at Thatcher and Tinsley and Selah. I said, man, it's raining. Let's don't go tonight. They went, oh, Papa. They knew I was lying. I hope they did. And then sometimes I think, I wonder if I'd have went in this weather if I wasn't a preacher. I wonder if I, some Sunday morning I'd just skip Sunday school and slide in 11 o'clock if I wasn't a preacher. I hope I would. I did before I was a preacher. Folks, we need it. We need to be steadfast in our doctrine. We need to be steadfast in our development. We need to take time to find out what God wants in our life and change whatever does, it not, does not line up with God. Amen. Obedience to the Word of God produces genuine Christ-likeness. Just as a, a child should grow up just like their daddy and mama. I believe every child of God have the, should have the opportunity to develop. Develop. 
It shouldn't be left in a paper sack. It shouldn't be left out in the street. And they shouldn't be fed to the wolves, the Jehovah Witnesses, and the cults with their spewing doctrine of self-righteousness. They shouldn't be left. We've got to go rescue them. We've got to invest some time. We might get hurt. It might be inconvenient. But I want to tell you something. It'll be worth it to see one grow in the Lord like Christ. Grow up to be like Jesus. We're not trying to make them fundamental, independent, Cofelites. We want to be like Jesus. They're steadfast in their doctrine. They were steadfast in their development. They were steadfast in their devotion. Look at verse 16. I'll close. Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body fitly joined together. There's a picture of the church. Every joint moving, every organ pumping and doing what it ought to do. And it says, compacted by that which every joint supplied. That means we're together. We function as a body. Listen to this. According to the effectual working and the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What's that saying? We ought to be steadfast in our devotion. Compacted together. You know what that means? Each member has a place. Each member has a gift. Each member has a ministry. And if you think you're pleasing God just by coming and sitting in a pew, you got, it, you got it wrong. God wants you to come sit in that pew, but God wants you to get a ministry. And you'll never be happy just sitting in a pew. Matter of fact, the closer you lean towards that door, the sooner you'll fall out of it. But if you're involved in the ministry, I'm going to tell you something. The workers at Vacation Bible School, they were coming back excited every night because they were the leaders. They were involved. Over 50 people thrilled my bald head to death. Praise God, they were involved. They were counting offerings. They were uh, serving lunches and suppers. And that's amazing to me. When I was a kid, we had Kool-Aid and cookies. So thank God for whoever provided that. I don't even want to ask. But I know this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says you've got a gift. You've got a gift. When you, when you got saved, God gifted you. And that gift is to function as part of the body. And folks, sometimes I preach my guts out up here and my heart out here, and you look at me like a mule looking at a new gate and say, I don't believe it, preacher. And I want to tell you something, friend, that whether you believe it or not, that's God's will. And I hope you'll believe it because I want to tell you something, you'll enjoy church a lot more when you become part of it, when you function. Folks, I want to tell you something, the people that got the most out of Vacation Bible School were the van and bus drivers and Kool-Aid servers, uh, uh, whatever we had, amen, iced tea, I guess, I don't know, and the musicians and the, and, the, and the director and the teachers and the leaders and the bouncers and the bodyguards and, and the bathroom details and the craft, crafty people and all the people that was involved. Man, it was exciting. That's the church functioning. And I'm not talking about VBS either. I'm talking about every Sunday you've got a ministry. That's to encourage and edify and bring in those little children that got saved and love them to death and love them to life and praise God. Let them be growing believers who want to find their place one day in the body and fulfill their place with the best of their ability. See, it's the sign of spiritual maturity is when a believer does his best to carry out the assignments 
from the Heavenly Father. And God has assigned you to be part of the body. Compacted together. Most churches fuss and fight so much they can't win souls. They sure can't disciple. And folks, they live up to that assignment. And when they don't live up to that assignment, it causes problems in the whole body. Folks, the body functions smoothly when every part of the body is functioning right. I would not be, I would not be functioning good if my tongue was not moving with the breath over it and enunciating words. My body would be useless if I couldn't hear and see you. But my eyes function, my ears are functioning, my tongue is functioning, and I hope to goodness my mind is functioning. <laughs> Sometimes I doubt it. And my heart is functioning. They're all parts of the body. And they all have a role. And we need to teach new converts. This ain't a spectator sport. God can use you. That's what we need to teach them. And the reason they can find out God can use them is because he's using you to go to them and confirm them, exhort them, and get them plugged in to the local church. I believe that's the priority of the ministry. Will you help us? Will you do your part? You've already done your part. Wonderful. Over 50 people serving God in vacation Bible school. I just came around and just started looking at everything. I used to try to do a lot in vacation Bible school, and I just look and see. Adult class growing every night. Children's classes growing every night. And the buses were sold, so we didn't have as many buses. And they're, they're still coming in here, coming in here. And they got excited about it. But I'll tell you how they'll really get excited about it. They follow the Lord in believers' baptism. They uh, reach their parents, like I had to reach my daddy. They get involved in the local church and grow up in this church and become part of the body. Let's confirm them. Let's exhort them. Let's encourage them. Our Father, thank you for an assignment, a divine calling. God, a place in the body. Some of us are ears and some of us are noses and some of us are just big toes. But God, you can use it all if we just love each other, exhort each other and edify each other. And God, follow the leader. The God-called pastor and the God-called teachers and the God-called leaders. And God, we can see people not only get saved, which is wonderful and a miracle, God, to see people be like you. To be like you. To become like Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to see these 27 converts be loved and cared for, encouraged and strengthened. God, may we spend time with them. May we bring them to their Sunday school class and say, this is your class. And you are a vital part of this class. And this is your church after you get baptized. And this is where you need to grow up to be like Jesus. And to work and to minister. And reach your parents and reach your loved ones and reach your neighbors. And be a soul winner. Be a disciple of Christ. God, that's our vision. That's our goal. And God, we need help. And thank you for these folks that reached them. Now, Lord, help us to teach them. 